Hello, and welcome to episode 5 of Don't Even Ask. Today, we're going to talk about Leonardo Cianciulli, better known as the soap maker of Coraggio. So I couldn't find an exact date, but Leonardo was born in April in the late 1800s in Italy. Her mother didn't love her because she was born as a result of an assault. As a young girl, she attempted suicide twice, so it sounded like she had a very rough and sad upbringing. In 1917, she married her husband, Raffaele, but her parents didn't approve because they wanted her to marry someone else. Leonardo claimed that her mother put a curse on both of them, so they moved to get away from her. In 1930, their home was destroyed by an earthquake, and they feared that the mother's wrath was coming, so they moved again. This earthquake was later categorized as one of the worst earthquakes in Italy's history. So the final time that they move, it is Correggio, and she opens a small shop. When she was there, she was regarded as a kind mother figure, and everyone in the town really seemed to like her. She got pregnant 17 times. She lost three to miscarriage, and 10 died in their youth. So that is pretty sad, because if you do the math, she had four. And the four that she had, she was obviously very protective over. What's more spooky is that she went to a fortune teller because she believed in the supernatural and things like that, and this fortune teller told her that all of her children would die. Supposedly, this fortune teller read her palm and said, In your right hand I see prison, in your left a criminal asylum. Again, Leonardo was superstitious, and she took these omens very seriously. In 1939, her eldest son, Giuseppe, was going to fight for Italy in World War II. She, again, was so protective over him, and she didn't want him to go, but he felt that it was his duty as an Italian man. Somehow, she came to the conclusion that she had to perform human sacrifices to prevent him from going to war. Again, I'm not really sure where this came from, but if you think about her very rough and traumatic upbringing, this isn't necessarily surprising that she was concerned about this. So our first unfortunate victim of Leonardo, which I didn't even really get to what Leonardo does, but is Faustina Setti. So she came to Leonardo to find a husband because Leonardo was some sort of matchmaker. Leonardo told her that there was a man in another town that was willing to meet her and that would be the perfect husband. She said, Faustina, you can go and see this man, but please do not tell anyone. She thought that somehow she could convince her that if it was a surprise, it was better. It was maybe more real. Leonardo told Faustina to write her family postcards saying where she was, but to not send them until she got to town. So, of course, that sounds a little suspicious. Once Faustina arrived, Leonardo offered her a glass of wine, which she had drugged, hacked her with an axe, and chopped her body up into nine parts. Yikes. Leonardo wrote a memoir titled An Embitter Soul's Confessions. And when she spoke about this first murder, she said, and I quote, I threw the pieces into a pot, added seven kilos of caustic soda, which I had bought to make soap, and stirred the whole mixture until the pieces dissolved in a thick, dark mush that I'd poured into several buckets and emptied in a nearby septic tank. As for the blood in the basin, I waited until it had coagulated, 
dried it in the oven, ground and mixed it with flour, sugar, chocolate, milk, and eggs, as well as a bit of margarine, kneading all the ingredients together. I made lots of crunchy tea cakes and served them to the ladies who came to visit, though Giuseppe and I also ate them. End quote. Yum. The second woman, Francesca Siavai, was basically killed under the same idea, except the pretenses were that she was going to go away to work at a girl's boarding school. She was killed the exact same way. And even the third victim, Virginia, was killed the same way. Again, as a quote from Leonardo's memoir, she says, quote, She ended up in the pot like the other two. Her flesh was fat and white. When it had melted, I added a bottle of cologne. And after a long time boiling, I was able to make some most acceptable creamy soap. I gave the bars to neighbors and acquaintances. The cakes, too, were better. That woman was really sweet. End quote. Pretty interesting, if I must say so myself. Leonardo's third and final victim, Virginia, had a sister-in-law who grew very concerned. She was suspicious of her disappearance, and she knew that she was last seen at Leonardo's house. The sister-in-law reported her fears to the police, and very quickly the police went over to interrogate her. At first, Leonardo defended herself. She was adamant that she had no idea what was happening. She didn't do anything. It was only when the police shifted the blame towards her beloved son, Giuseppe, that she finally broke down and admitted to everything. Supposedly, her admittance was fairly simple and fairly quick. It didn't take too much investigation. She was tried for murder in 1946. At the end of the trial, Leonardo very proudly said that she gave her copper ladle, you know, the one she used to skim the fat of her victims, to her country because they were very badly in need of metal during the end of World War II. So that's pleasant. She was found guilty, and she was sentenced to 30 years in prison and three years in a criminal asylum. Now, I wasn't sure why they split them up and why they decided the 30 and the 3, but supposedly that's what happened, and it goes with the story about the fortune teller palm reader who said, I see in one hand prison and the other the criminal asylum. The murders took place in a span of 11 months, so it was a little under a year, but Leonardo died of essentially what was a stroke in a criminal asylum in 1970. If she were alive today, she would most likely have been diagnosed with clinical depression. Um, she would have gone to therapy and been put on medication. Hopefully that could have changed things. But again, in that time frame, those things weren't common. Today, many clinical psychologists believe that superstitions are born out of a fractured mind's attempts to make sense of the nonsensical. Again, she did have a traumatic upbringing. Her life was tough, and she was unloved. When all of those things come together, it definitely makes you mentally unstable. A number of artifacts from this case, such as the pots used to boil the victims, are on display at the Criminological Museum in Rome. All right, that concludes today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. Again, please follow us on Instagram at Don't Even Ask Pod. And feel free to send any suggestions, any corrections even, because I do want to make this podcast as reliable as possible. Again, I'm an amateur. There's 
I'm using sources, but nothing super professional of my own. So I'd really like to get some feedback. You can leave a review on iTunes and any other platforms that you're listening on. Thank you so much. Bye.